Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey gang, we've got a mind-blowing episode for you this week. Today's guest is somebody that's been challenging life paradigms for quite a few years. Stick around to the end. A fellow ag podcaster proposed a friendly little competition, but I can't share any more details than that till the very end, so make sure you stick around and check those out. Our guest today shares his valuable wisdom gained from over 40 years on horseback. Settle in and enjoy an epic ride with Bob Kinford. So, Bob, great to talk to you again. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you today. How are you doing down there? Well, we actually got some moisture this week, and I was able to go get stuck. So if I can get stuck, it should grow something. <laughs> you got stuck. Is, that's a I good experience stuck. for you down there, Texas, isn't it? Well, almost. I mean, it, you know, if you drive across and you've got a bunch of rabbit holes or something in the sand, yeah, you can get stuck. But, but normally you don't have to worry about getting stuck, but it, uh, I went ahead and fed the few cows I've got yesterday and went driving off and it just swallowed my truck. <laughs> you probably don't even have carry chains or really have much of a way to get yourself out. Do you? Oh, I didn't, I didn't carry chains when I was in Montana. <laughs> I kept it four wheel drive. I hardly, I've actually only been stuck about a half dozen times in my life. But when I do get stuck, I'm stinking stuck. And it's I was right down on the spare tire. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't because I, I was trying. It just, the bottom fell out from underneath it. So I, I think my uh, my impact was, was good enough to where any place where there was a puddle, it was a lot bigger underground than it was on top of the ground. Well, you know, I'm really excited to hear about what happens now that you've got some moisture? Cause how long has it been since you've had any significant rain at all? A year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the Saturday night before it started, I had, uh, one part of one quarter section. He had gotten, you know, when I was up in, in Kansas visiting with you and Josh and everybody, uh, there was a, a storm went across, one center pivot hit a diagonal. So the whole stinking pivot didn't even get it. Got an inch. And that was the first rain that was over two tenths since last July. And then the rest of the place, it's like, you know, I've got, it's only 3,500 acres and, and I've got a, the one gauge on the Northwest corner. And then the other one is kind of in the South middle, more or less, but down by the house. And that one had never had more than a tenth in it since last last July. And, and so how much rain did you get last dry. weekend? You said 
Oh, I, I'd have to total it up. We got two tents on Sunday night or Saturday night and then got another two tents Sunday night. And then between Monday afternoon and Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night, uh, we got an inch, solid inch across the whole place. So that's which is unusual because it'll get one side or the other. Inch and a half of rain yeah, is worth taking. Well, no, I think, yeah, yeah, basically it was an inch and a half over four days. So yeah, that's worth taking. And, uh, uh, as far as I can tell, I don't think I had much runoff at all, if any, which is unheard of for down here in a, in a, uh, in, a in an area where you usually have runoff on less than a quarter inch rain. We'll start running water, and that was a one inch rain the other night. And I mean, other than on the roads themselves, there was not really any puddles. Um. I'm really interested to, to talk to you again in a couple of months toward the end of the growing season and see what kind of forage this range drone. Oh yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I've already got, got a bunch of little tumbleweeds and it looks like maybe little, uh, little pigweed coming up. Uh, and it's just today's first day. It's actually warmed up enough for it to do anything. So it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to even see what it looks like by the end of next week. But uh, the older cows that I got when I made that trip up there and figuring it's gonna gonna uh, be able to last through the end of last month on the, the mesquite beans. Well, those mesquite beans actually turned when I was gone to where they're just going right straight through the cows. So <clears throat> they kind of dropped down, and you know, because a bunch of them were calving, and they they calved, and you know how that goes when there's not much feed, and they they have, they just kind of crater. So yep. I'm starting feeding them a little bit and we're going to ship them out on the 14th. I'm going to let stuff grow and then see if I can't get a thousand head of yearlings in around September 1st, October and run them for about, um, probably run them for about four or five months to be able to get through everything. Okay. Because that's going to be pretty dense on the weeds. So how are your cows doing? Are they, are they holding together better or, or, Oh yeah, yeah. We uh, we've been through a couple small paddocks, and this morning, you know, and it's going to be a couple weeks before I release this. So this morning, uh, we moved them into it was 130 acres, uh, like 130, 135, something like that. And I I decided I wanted to saw off part of it because 250 cows in you know 130 acres. That's you know it's probably 10, 12 days worth of feed in there, but I didn't want them in there that long because after about five days you're going to get some regrowth and anyway terrain topography this would be an this would be an, uh, an interesting time to experiment with that oh yeah but anyway so i just yeah. saw it off 40 acres and they're in yeah they're in 90 and yeah. about 90 92 acres left in there and you know they're doing a pretty good job of, of staying together in a group but you know i did notice um after we turned them in today to the fresh paddock um, they did make a lap of the whole thing and they got really strung out. And I'm, I'm not sure I always really like that behavior where when you turn them in, they make a whole lap around the paddock. Yeah, normally they don't, they, that's kind of a sign that for some reason they were unsatisfied. They might've been, you know what I mean? mean it, the last paddock they were in, they were in, they should have been out of there 
in the morning. They should have been out of there in the morning instead of early afternoon because, oh, well, I had a fun morning. I, I, just, uh-huh. I was getting my coffee and trying to get ready to get out of the house, and I got a phone call. Hey, you got some uh, cows out on the highway. Okay, appreciate that call. Um, in the next three minutes, I got four more phone calls with the same message. So, uh, yeah, I get out there and I hit the, they packed up at a gate that I should have fixed five years ago and blown out and they were on the highway. I had, I had over a hundred out on the highway grazing up and down the ditches. They're strung up for a half a mile. It was just a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful way to start the day. Let me tell well, you. Well, yeah. Hey, at least you were working cows and you weren't chasing, you know, water lines or something. Well, it, yeah, but this is a group I haven't really worked with very much. I've only had these oh, for about okay. two weeks. Oh, okay. Well, then it gives you really good practice. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, uh, just, just right after I got on scene, I had a neighbor show up with a feed truck. And I'd already stopped him from going east. And he kind of watched that east side. And I went all the way to the west end and, and brought them all up on foot with my side-by-side. And when we got them all up there in a the group. He flipped the siren on and bailed into the pasture, and I all followed him right in there, and he dribbled out just a little bit of feed, and they were happy, and he snuck back out, and then I got to fix a gate so that I should have fixed five well, years ago. You know, well, you never you, do anything like that. You never do that, do you, Bob? You're by God. What? I said, you never do that, do you? You look at it and go, well, I'll keep working until it doesn't. You know what my brand is. <laughs> <laughs> What what is that again? Too lazy. The, number two, a lazy for you. Too lazy for you. Yeah, I I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. So yeah, I had a yeah, I, it, that just it, set the whole day all the way back, and uh, it, yeah. it wasn't bad. Nothing got hit. We got everything off the highway. And no drama. Well, like I say, it breaks up the day. That's that's what I like about ranching is you never you can think you know what you're going to do, but then that can change before you get there. It could, and it only takes one phone call to screw up your whole day, and it's just just that yeah. one phone call. Yeah, but it didn't really screw up your whole day. I mean, it it kind of it changed things around a little bit. You had to readjust, but how much did it really screw it up? Oh, not really. Nobody died. I mean, nobody nobody died. You, you didn't have any. What did you have that you were going to do today that was really all that urgently important? Well, move my hungry cows out of a paddock that they should have, you know, yeah. that they needed to be moved and out of first thing in the morning. Out. Yeah, but how long did it take to move them out? Uh, Ten minutes. Yeah, so it's like. Your, your big important thing you absolutely had to do was only a 10-minute job. So, you know, you needed something to keep you busy. Yeah, need something to keep me on my toes every once in a while. Yeah, and that's why yeah I have, exactly. And that's why I have friends like you, Bob, because you keep me on my toes. <laughs> you, you, have me, you have a friend like me, why? You got to keep your sense of humor on it. I mean, that, it is. Yeah. And it's all part of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's, it's like I tell people, it, it isn't that you had a wreck. It isn't that it was even a big wreck. It's how you recover from it. Yeah, we got you off know, the highway. And and, can, yeah. 
and you know, and a lot of times those those wrecks are fun to put back together. So you know, it gives you good practice on your stockmanship, and you got something a little bit different to do. So I mean, why sweat that? Oh, I, I'm know, not sweating it. I'm laughing about it. You know, I'm, I'm yeah, laughing about good. it because you know it. It, it it wasn't bad, and actually, you know, the, this neighbor and I, we've had some Hatfield McCoy bullshit in the past, and uh, <laughs> you know, it felt good to you know, it felt good to work with him. You know, he showed up to help me without me asking because he knew it because he knew there was a oh, situation. That's a good deal. And you know, somebody he'd gotten a phone call too, so you know, yeah, so everybody up, got a phone call. Yeah, he didn't have to. He showed up. He helped me out. You know. Well, he showed up, and he didn't. He didn't go. Oh, they're, they're not my cows, and leave. Yeah, I mean. It, so that was a good thing. So actually, that that whole thing is a positive experience because the, this neighbor that you know you've been taking you've been taking pot shots back and forth defense at each other. Well, you actually got along once, which is a good thing. Yeah, it felt pretty good to shake his hand, yeah. and you know. Yeah. Made sure he knew that his help was much appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot better than, than you know, wondering if you're going to get shot over the fence. <laughs> <laughs> that's, well, that's it. Yeah, I well, lost about a bit in a few of those situations. <laughs> let's just move right on. So, yeah. So, we're talking about stockmanship, and you're really known for your stockmanship, and you're very outspoken. Probably not all of my listeners um, are familiar with what we're talking about. And so what, what's, what's the 30,000 foot view of your style of stockmanship? The 30,000 foot view. Uh, Too lazy for you. High flow. uh, I don't know if you want to say high flow, low pressure or high pressure, high flow. I mean, you know, I mean, you were up at uh, Lion W with Josh and Gwen when when I had that two day clinic down there, and then uh, you know we played around that one morning at your place, and it's it's actually kind of relaxing. It's it's low stress, but you put an extreme amount of pressure on cattle for a short amount of time to create a flow, but it's more like, uh, instead of what we think about getting on, on cattle and putting pressure on them and putting the pressure on them to make them go someplace, we put the pressure on them to where they can, they can see that the point of release is where we want them to go. So to get them to go where you want them to, by making them think it's their own good idea. That's that's kind of yeah, how I have it yeah. in my head, and I think yeah, basically, I mean, and, and it's and and it keeps changing in my mind because trying to explain how this works is is you got to kind of see it to even see that it does work because I you know I admit it sounds you know it's I'm out in left field two ballparks over to a lot of people, it, but it's it sounds like you're crazy sometimes. I'll be straight up with you. Yeah, I know. I know. You, you said that, and it's like people tell me that, and it's like, oh, well, if you want to, well, that's why I've gotten out of some Facebook groups. They keep telling me I'm crazy, and it's like, well, okay, if you can't grasp it, I'm, I'm not going to waste my time, but it's uh, it's a lot like a potter, and you've got a, a, 
chunk of clay on the, on that potter's wheel. You know, you're not, it's spinning around. It's, you know, it's, it's spinning is kind of like the mind of a cow and you've got to grab a hold of it and put the pressure on it the way you want to get that piece of the clay to follow the shape that you want. Well, and I, I think it's important to note that every time you go into the pasture, whether you're in the feed truck, the side-by-side, -side, on the wheeler, on a horse, you change how those animals are acting. Oh, yeah, you have, definitely. As, as soon as you pull into that pasture and one of them notices you're in there, you have changed that whole herd's grazing behavior. Yeah, definitely. And just the way you can get on your horse and ride through, poke around and have them all sit still, but if you're wanting to move, you can ride through there at some pretty dang crazy angles, actually. You know, when you think back when you were hilltopping on that second day at school. Yeah. And uh, I went riding down through there, and it looked like I wasn't doing anything. And I made a little tiny move down on the one end. And, you know, as I approached those cattle, they kind of wrapped around. And then everything just kind of start. everything just from that started flowing. And then I went there was cattle sitting off to the side and I went right directly to them and they all wrapped around me and then started going the direction I wanted them to go. It was no getting around them and pushing them. And those were yearlings that were pretty fresh. So it's not like, like they were, you know, broke to death gentle cattle. So yeah, it I works in every little, I mean, just, okay. When you talk horsemanship, and they talk timing, balance, and feel. And for anybody that's, that's read Tom Dorrance's book, uh, Through Unity, every once in a while he'll put in there about, you know, the three or four places in that book that he will mention that you have to focus on where you're wanting the horse to go. you got to focus. But he only mentions timing, balance, and feel, and he doesn't say focus. But if you don't have that focus, you know, it's not a three prong stool. It's a four prong stool. And if you don't have the focus, you're not going to, to be able to accomplish as much as you want to accomplish, no matter how good your timing balance and feel is. And these cows are the same direction. You know, if your horse is just gawking off into spaces, you're going by them. They're not going to do anything. But what happens when I take and I pick that, that head up and I've, I've, get that horse to focus in on that cow with a little bit of a bend in its body as I'm going by, they pick up and move, you know, because that you've got that horse's focus working on you. So you're looking at the horse, at the cow or the horse is looking at the cow. You're approaching it from a direction that, that tells it where you want it to go without putting pressure on it. So the pressure's off as soon as it starts going the way you want it to go. Right. And, you know, when it gets lined, when those animals get lined out and their heads are pointing the right direction, their ears are forward, you you got to be out of the pressure. You got to be pulling all the pressure out of that situation. Yeah. And getting away yeah, from exactly. it. And exactly. If you, if you don't, then you're asking them to do something else that you're not really wanting to ask them to do. And a lot of it is just so subtle. It's just so subtle. It's a, it's a subtle move here. It's a, it's, it's a one step here into that flight zone at the right angle at the right time yeah. to make that animal move. And then it's, 
when it works, well, it's, it's magic. Like the, it's like that that fade turn. You know, Cal turns and is, is going to go running back, and you turn with it and take that one step extra, and they just shut down and go. Now, sometimes they don't, so you have to take an extra step or maybe two or three extra steps off, but going, you know, focus on the cow, but moving away from it, and they turn around and go back in. You know, every cow is, is going to react a little bit different, so you constantly have to have, you know, if you're a foot or on a horseback, you've got to be making that those changes step by step as you're going. Right. Which, you know, that's, uh, and it's, it's getting back to that focus. You've got to be focused on what you're doing, and when a person's first trying to pick this stuff up, you've got to be concentrating on it because if you don't concentrate on what you're doing, you wind up falling back into your, your old methods and your old habits. And so you've got to really kind of concentrate on it uh, until you, it gets to the point where making these adjustments are just second nature. And, it, and once there's something nature, then then you can really start having, having fun with it. So, th- you know, that, yeah, and this isn't anything new, is it? No, it isn't. But what has, I think what's happened over the eons, I mean, some of it is kind of new. And a lot of people that, that follow the Bud Williams, excuse me, stockmanship methods, they don't, oh, that doesn't work. You know, that's, that's not what Bud did. Well, actually, Bud did more than what he taught. And when I, you know, I was forced to go to a Bud Williams clinic. I can't remember a school. It was either 91 or 92. And I didn't want to go. The, the manager that sent me and his cow boss, uh, they went when I first got there were actually worse when they came back from the Bud Williams school. So it's like, okay, you know, they were worse when they came, you know, came back from it. So either the guy is full of it or they didn't understand it. And it was a deal where you're either going to go or you're going to get another job. So I went and I'm sitting there. I understand it. You know, it was, it was just made sense, but, People were asking the same questions over and over and over. And at the, uh, the last day when we broke for lunch, I stayed back and I, I talked with Bud. And I asked him about some of this stuff that I was doing. And he said, oh, yeah, that works great. And I said, well, do you have another another class that you teach that? And he goes, no, he says, this is the only class I have. And I asked him, why? why? And he said, well, it's too advanced to teach. And then he pointed out, but my boss and he pointed out a couple of guys that were in the class that kept asking a lot of questions and that was their third time there. So it's, that got me to thinking on this and, and how to teach it. And it, it finally dawned on me probably, Oh, probably about 12, 13 years ago that it's not advanced. It's basic. Everything, everything that we do with a cow is basic stockmanship. 
you can have basic stockmanship that's really bad or basic stockmanship that's really good. And once a person can get their mind wrapped around this and quit doing the predatory move where you got to get around there and start going back and forth across the back, it starts falling into place. And some people, some people really have a talent for it. And, and some people have got a deal that just comes from inside of them. You know, when, when Ethan stepped into that bunch of cows, when we were just starting to, to, to go over the different approaches. And that was a bunch of soured cows that, that were farmered down to the point where they're not even a cow anymore. And they went, they did what you asked them to do. But when Ethan stepped in there, I mean, that was, that was pretty incredible to watch those cows. It was almost like they stood at attention and that's because he's got something inside of him that is exerting energy that those cows were understanding that those cows were, were, were really, uh, you know what? I just had a thought on that though. Well, he's also works with sheep. Yeah. But, and, and this is one thing that, that is really funny because my first school in Mexico, the guy didn't, he, he hated anybody going down there and, and doing school for a variety of reasons, but, and he, he didn't speak any English. I don't speak any Spanish. And by the end of that, we were getting along good. And the last day he goes, Oh, like goats, because there is no difference between the, the basic instincts and reactions between goats, sheep, cows, llamas, alpacas, elk, kangaroos, any grazing at rabbits. If you can, if you can hit it just right, you can do a fade turn on a rabbit and stop it. And you can actually hurt it around a little bit, which is, it's fun to do. That's, I mean, it's, I do these things because I'm not all there. I, I kind of got to experiment, but, uh, Oh, whatever he's giving out is it's an energy that they're looking at. And I'm going to get off tangent here because there's been a lot of stuff on Facebook about predators, you know, you know, all this about the predators hurting the animals. Right. But anybody that's calved out up North, I know dang good and well, if they're night calving, they have watched and seen coyotes going through a night pen and picking up afterbirth. And there might be one or two cows fighting them over that afterbirth, but they're walking through looking for that afterbirth, and those cows aren't paying a dang bit of attention to them. No. no. And, and, and you can... Funny thing. You can have... This week, you know, just this week, in, in both, in two of the herds that are on the ranch, while I've been out checking cows... There have been coyotes in the middle of both of those herds of cows this week. And and the cows aren't paying any attention because they're looking for gophers. Yeah, the cows don't care. You know, the calves are just, yeah. you know, they're just trucking right through. And I've got three-week-old calves. I'm not yeah. worried. And the thing is, is, I've also seen mountain lion and bear go right through the middle of cows. And they don't even hardly, I mean, they might switch an arrow over towards them or something, but, you know, unless you're looking really close, you don't see any reaction off those cows because they know when they're being, they know when they're being hunted. 
Well, that's because the focus isn't there from the predator. And how does that translate? How does that translate to stockmanship? Well, that translates into these animals aren't being herded by the predators. (laughs) You know, they're not... If you know, think about it. These predators, they would really like their their game to be easy to catch. They don't want them to keep moving. So why why do we think that they're that these predators are driving, you know the 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 animals? You know, we we've something something anecdotal wolf study Yellowstone. Oh, that that you know. Yellowstone, basically, if you can get a hold of old proper journals, you know, from from Bass and Fremont, Carson, and them guys, they would go through Yellowstone if the Indians were after. Indians wouldn't but, go there. Exactly, it was evil ground, and you know what? They didn't even bother. They didn't even bother stopping the trap because there wasn't anything in there to trap. There was, and there was no game animals in there. This whole thing of, of Yellowstone being this natural environment, it, our government put bison in there. The elk wound up getting kind of driven up there from pressure from you know civilization, so they made it up into the park. And the first set of bison they put up there died. And they tried to say, well, they weren't mountain bison. So they went and they got mountain bison, and they put them up there, and then they fed them every winter. And then from everything I've gleaned out of this, which it gets hard to find sometimes, they quit feeding, you know, or they're at least cut back on their feeding program when they released the wolves in there. So, you know, it's like, yeah, the wolves knocked out a bunch, but at the same time, how much of that was winter killed because they weren't feeding them. And it's one of the things that I've really the older I get, the more I realize it. We observe the extremes and very seldom look at the the middle. You know, yeah, oh, wow, there was, you know, 15, you know, 10 or 15 million bison going by at once. And, uh, it's like, you got to laugh. I mean, if, if you've ever counted even a couple hundred cows through a gate and then you figure, well, you're going to get a, an estimate on fifth, on a million or 10,000 or whatever bison going through. You're not going to be anywhere close. Oh, there's no way to And then, then as they're going across, you know, they don't, they, they basically don't even notice those herds of 150, 200. You know, they just notice them when they come together during breeding season. And, and the other thing that, that, that really gets to me about that is, how come there is so little mentioned about the big herds of elk they had, big herds of antelope, big herds of deer? Yeah, where's all their habitat you know gone? There? What? Where's all that habitat gone? Well, it was all the same habitat. Those animals were completely crisscrossing, and it's like, uh And they were all using the forage and- differently, too. Yeah, and it was, but they would also be using the same forage. 
depending on what time they went through. You know, it's not that the bison just ate the grass and then the antelope milk came through and ate the weeds. When those weeds were the most nutritious, that's when the, the bison would be, you know. it's. I had that discussion with my high, freshman high school biology teacher. Well, we have grazing animals and browsing animals, and, and grazing animals prefer grasses and legumes, and, and browsing animals like deer and elk, they like, you know, acorns and nuts and, and scrubs and twigs. And, and it's like, well, if that were really true, then why do you see deer out in alfalfa fields? And why, when those pine cones break open or the acorns start dropping, do those cows quit eating grass and start going for the acorns and the pine nuts? So, I mean, we've, we've kind of educated ourselves into some corners to where we don't think out of the corner. I mean, we're not even in the box because the whole box has, has these animals eating various things. But we paint the grazers into this box and the browsers into, or into this corner of the box and the, and the browsers into another. So we need to, I think we really need to start having a lot of different research done on what these animals will eat. And uh, also, you know, because that's one of the things we do in IMG. Once you get herd instinct rebooted, which some people get so sick and tired of hearing that, they think they, oh, our cows stick together. Well, yeah, you got them in a, in a 20 acre pasture all the time, you know, with the same cows, you know, which are a family group moving around all the time. Well, those family groups are going to stay together, you know, but you get out like on your place. If, you know, normally your cows, when you would turn them in there, they kind of scatter out across there. Now they're kind of running together and you're just, you know, you're just getting started with us. Yeah. So yeah, it might when, stick together when, whenever I move them for a while and they're getting yeah. better at it too. Yeah, and you're not you're not going and doing like we do at a store where you, you sit on that and you concentrate on it for five days, and then it's there. Oh, that's so, like an hour or two a day when I go out to you know either check them or move them or you know yeah look at mineral or whatever. I mean you're not you're not going out there pick them up and and kind of making sure they go to water at the same time and then hang around and and wait for them to come off water and make sure they they come off but just the changes that you've made in your stockmanship and you're still doing your, your same daily routine, they're coming together. Now, have you noticed any difference in, in their grazing habits as far as what they're eating? Uh, I saw calves eating thistle heads this morning. Not eating what? Thistles. Oh, okay. Eating, well, eating yeah, the they, heads they, off of thistles. Point. Yeah. And that's one of the things that they they should be grazing, you know, because that's good feed, you know. But it's one of those things. Oh, we got to spray it, you know. Can't have those thistles uh, in a pasture; they might take over. Like that's it's good cow feed, you know. Let's select, yeah. you know, I, I, <laughs> one of the things I have written down to 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 cover with you today is the tumbleweeds. You had some really interesting results. Um, from testing tumbleweeds, and I know you mentioned it earlier that you'd gotten some, you know, when you got in the rain that you've already seen some little tumbleweed sprouts. So, like, yeah, let's tell me about how good a forage tumbleweeds are. Okay, 
tumbleweeds, you kind of need to feed a little bit of energy with them. Be, you know, on cows, on cows do good with them. You still need a little bit of dry matter, a little bit of energy with them, you know, when they're green, because they're running up at 25%, 26% protein. And, and it'll be running 75, 76% TDN, but the calorie levels are down. Uh, so you feed a little bit of energy in there with them and they do good. Well, in this, in the winter, when they go dormant, people, Oh, they, they won't eat that. They won't eat that. If you can get them started on it while they're still just a little bit green, they'll eat them all, all winter. And that, that, uh, first set of calves I had on them out here year before last. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't get the actual weight, but he was wanting them over, over 700 pounds. When they came in, they averaged 435. They were here for roughly 210 days, and they averaged a little over a pound and a quarter a day with no supplements. Basically eating tumbleweeds. Eating tumbleweeds. Now, this last winter, this, this little this set of cows that I've got in now that, that we sold most of them off here before I went to Kansas, uh, we should have gotten the, these other ones out, but basically I had a little bit of dry grass here and there that I was able to, to, to stockpile despite it being so dry. And some of it, it was really weird because some of it was already oxidizing. I mean, which is a whole nother discussion on, on soil quality and how fast these plants oxidize. So I went ahead and I grazed that all off. And then other than that, they were on tumbleweeds. Some of the tumbleweeds were from 2020. And a bunch of them were from 2019. And I went last, uh, last November, I went ahead and I ran forage tests on them. And the tumbleweeds from 2020, when they were dormant, were running at 17% protein. And almost 50% EDN. The ones that were from 2019, we're still running at 5% protein and 40% TDN. So <laughs> all I did is I, I'd go out there, I got me some molasses and I, I, you know, in a crash pump and I would step it down to, to one inch deal with a nozzle on the end of it. And I was driving around and, and spraying the 2019 tumbleweeds with molasses. And boy, they would sit there and hammer that for a little bit. And then, okay, we got enough energy. And then they go over and, uh, you know, I spray those tumbleweeds twice a week, uh, 600 gallons on, on 84 head. And they came through the winter good. So these people that, that they don't want to graze weeds or they say they, they want to spend money to get rid of the weeds. It's like graze them out, get the impact. And, you know, you're, you may get more weeds next year, but, you're going to have a little bit of grass here and there out of that. And I've already seen signs of, of a little bit of grass last, last year, but it just, it didn't get it, get very big just because of the fact that it was so damn dry. So this year is going to be interesting to see how much gra- grass comes up in there. Graze it but hard it, and give it plenty of rest and recovery. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I'm, I'm, 
going to do. I'm, I'm right now I'm trying to figure, figure out, and it's going to take me a couple three weeks before I can come up with any sort of a plan. Uh, I may wait until November, put a thousand head of, of calves on there and take it, uh, just take, trample it all down and, and, and get it eaten up and pull out. Or if by the end of next month, if I've got them and they're three foot high, like they were, uh, then I'm probably going to go ahead and try to get a bunch of calves in and go through it once and let it, and let it recover and then come back to the first part, part and just do it a second time. But it's, uh, on those tumbleweeds in 2020, I got 54,000 grazing days off of a, a place that if it was, if it didn't have the weeds on it and it was the normal grass and everything that's in this area would have amounted to about 16,400 grazing days. And you got so that by weeds, training them to eat other weeds. I don't train them to eat weeds. It's just, it, you know, I, I keep them in the pens for a couple of days, play around with them. And then, uh, I'll go out there every couple of days and, and play with them a little bit, and they just start eating the weeds. And, and the cool part is, is some of these cows are like that I get that I'll get in down here. It'll be you know trader cows just thrown in stuff, and they're if a group splits up or something, I start riding towards one group, the other group comes running back too. You know they're coming back on their own violation. I'm not putting any pressure on them to do it. They just come running back. So, you know, there's something there that is really making these cows want to come together. And when, when you get these trading cows that are doing that, that the reason that a bunch of them got traded off is because they were too wild and trotty to begin with. That's a, that's a major stinking behavior change right there on top of diversifying the diet. And it's just, uh, I don't, my wife thinks I'm crazy, but it's like, I, I just get tickled by all the changes that there are in these damn cows when you, when you go out there and play with them and then being able to see the changes in your, your forage conditions and that by, by what you're doing. So, so it's, uh, how, how did it all go wrong? Hey, like we said earlier, you, IMG, it's nothing new. Right, it's it's lost. It, it's it's a lost art because this is. So what's different between okay. IMG and, and on somebody's worry. ranch and what they from used the to do with five back. guys and five thousand head of cattle driving them from Texas to Montana? Both Williams asked the same question all the time, and I'm not totally sure where it all went wrong, but I do know that that. All of these these rodeo events and that don't do us any good. Um, How's you know, that? They're spectator events. They're, they're spectator events. You know, yeah, it's cool to, to run that calf down and get it. It's like tied down in eight seconds. But if you go to doctor on your all your calves like that, then then you're having to run down everything. And if you're, you know, I've had times where I was doctoring between forty and fifty yearlings a day, or get on a, a pneumonia wreck, showers wreck up north and, and you know, you're doctoring 
50 to 90 head of calves a day, you know, your cattle get wild if you are jumping up there and going past the rope, everyone. So it, it's, we've got this buckaroo puncher attitude thing going on in this country. And it's, it's like both of them take, both groups take it to the extreme, you know, punchers got to see how, how fast they can do it, how much dust they can make fly. And, and the buckaroos are trying to make it, you know, see how fancy they can look doing it, you know, but there's got to be a balance in there where you go in there, you take a shot, you know, you take the first shot available. You don't sit there and spend for, you know, what seems like an eternity getting it set up to do that double turnover with a half twist, uh, Del Viento to, to Dr. Cap. Just rope it. You know, you can sit there and just pick that rope up and throw it make a catch and get it doctored, get it over with, and you're not stirring up the cattle and, and which the buckaroos aren't stirring up the cattle, but they're getting the job done in a hurry. I mean, I, I watched four guys up out of uh, Winnemucca and it took them two hours to docker like 20 calves. Wow. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And they thought I was the weird one, you know? So it's like, <laughs> well, you should be used to that by now, Bob. You... Oh, I, hey, I've been the odd one. I've been the odd one out since I was a kid. I can't believe that. Oh yeah, it's true. <laughs> so, I, I just have always had kind of a different way of thinking and looking at things, and getting it, it's getting even more different the older I get. So. You don't like rodeo because it's fast and it's flashy and it's not good for the animals. And it's, you know, I, I think there's a lot of well, things. It's that... not that I don't like rodeo. It's just, uh, I mean, that, that takes a lot of talent. What they're doing takes a lot of talent. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Don't but, want to take anything I mean, away from that at all. And, and, and you don't want to take that back to the ranch for the most part. You know, it's, you know, like saddle bump. Okay, every once in a while, yeah, you're going to have a horse blow. It is not like it was, you know, 30 or 40 years ago when you'd run a, a four-year-old into the round crowd, get it choked down and blindfolded and climb up on it and, and do, a, you know, Monty Walsh ride around the round crowd, open up the door, and you're outside and put on 30 or 40 miles in a day. We're, we're not doing that anymore the horses aren't even anywhere close to being like that because they're not raising them like that. You know, those, the, the foals are getting handled and, and they're bred to be more gentle. So, you know, we don't need to, to take that onto the ranch, but at least if you can ride a saddle bump, you should be able to stay focused enough to get one road at the ranch. <laughs> but other than that, all of the, the way they're doing the team roping and, everything 900 miles an hour, you know, you don't need to do it. But then again, if you try to do, <laughs> I could just see having a, a stockmanship uh, deal like, oh, let's say, let's say the, the rain cow horse. Okay. You block it up and then you, then you have that animal with a knot in its tail and take it down the fence at a walk, turn around, bring it back down. And by the time you're, you're done messing with it and going around, you know, it's tails down and it's relaxed. We can't have that because that's, for most people, is boring to watch. 
So what you're saying is good stockmanship is boring to watch. Yeah, stockmanship is is, and I I can kind of I can see the point because people want to be distracted. They want to have all the dust flying and everything. But I prefer watching somebody that I can't even tell what they're doing when they do it. And there's not a whole lot of those guys around. But so, you get somebody that's really good that just eases through things and just makes things happen. You know, everything's flowing. And that, to me, is a thing of beauty to watch. Being able to, to have that horse sit down hard and come around, around hard with the cow, yeah, that can, you know, that is, that's something that is needed once in a while. But for the most part, you don't do it. You know, that little black horse that I rode up there, that sucker can sit down and come around. Uh, but he already ever gets a chance to do it <laughs> because you're not, uh, you know, you're getting that, that energy flow going around here for where they are going to where they need to go without being pressured or, you know, that going to the head all the time. You know, you do it three or four times, yeah, they might, they're going to, settle down and you get them to where you want to go. But if you can remove that pressure, they get there a lot faster. I, but I, it's when I'm coming around slow. an animal and I'm trying to, you know, and I'm trying to make my approach and move it. You never go for the head. You go for the hip. Yeah. Or, or, or go past the hip at an angle where they turn around and look at you until you get them facing the right direction and back off. And then they'll start going forward and then you can pick them up, and drive them a little bit. But, you know, we, you don't have to go up there and start pressuring them. Right. And it's and it's not trying to pressure them from behind. It's not trying to pick up their eye or their head. Yeah. It's the hip. It's driving that, well, that focus that point is, on the hip. That, that, that deal of, oh, you got to get their eye. you got to get their eye. You know, I'm not even going to say who it is, but there's these people out there that are given stockmanship clinics and seminars and they're always saying, Oh, you got to get the eye. You got to get the eye. You, know, you, you have their just, eye. Yeah. As soon as you come into the, pasture. exactly. I want to just slap them and say, you have their eye. If they're not it. doing what you want, you are in the wrong position. You're putting too much pressure on them. If they're not turning and they're trying to beat you, you're putting too much pressure on them. Take a little pressure off. Let them slow down and turn. But by golly, they don't want to, they just don't want to do that. Oh, we got to run that yeah. cow down. We got to run that steer down. Yeah, well, you got to get their eye. You got to get their eye. Well, it's like I say, you have their eye. They see you, but you're not giving them any. You're putting too much pressure on them. They're not going to stop until you get to a point where, you know, okay, yeah, if you get up there far enough that, oh, okay, well, he's in front of us now. Now we'll turn when they turn around to go, but. You know, it's like in that clinic when I'm coming up, how many times did you see me come up directly in back of an animal? They would turn their head to look at me. I'd shift the direction I was going, and they would wrap around and go by me. Oh, the I direction I wanted. Saw it several times, and I hope we got, got yeah. good drone footage of it. Yeah. I, it, yeah, it, it's, I, I, need to, I need to find a way to get that narrated, and, and I need to find an editing program where I can take and do the arrows like on football games. Yeah, so if any podcast listener out there, if you got an idea for that, take it uh, 
Ticket Thrashing Reboot Paddock on Facebook or uh, or just message Bob. I think your friends list is about as big as mine these days. Like, oh, I did. That doesn't sound good. It, it seems like the more we do this podcast, it's like every day they're getting four or five friend requests from people. Not that that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I, I know. How, I know how that goes. Believe me. I'm, it's like I'm at almost the 5,000 limit and it's like, unless somebody is, is doing the, the raising and stockmanship, it's, I, I just kind of set off to the side and ignore them. You know, you know, every once in a while, maybe somebody that I knew from the past or something will want to, will find me and want to friend me and, and I'll do that. But for the most part, it's, it's the only friends I'm doing right now are ones that are directly related to, to what we're doing with the regenerative grazing, which that may sound snobbish, but it's like, that's basically why I'm on there anyways. Right. So let, let's circle back, you know, to rodeo and, you know, it, we, we both kind of agree that there's not very many skills in modern rodeo that are translatable to skills on the ranch. So what about ranch rodeo? How do you feel about ranch rodeo? Well, see that, well, ranch rodeo is, I'm really going to, I mean, I'm going to get hate mail for this. We're both going to get hate mail for it, but let's go anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like hate mail. Let them take the pressure off somebody else. Hey, look, look, Bob, a hater is one step away from your biggest fan. It, you already have him because you, Ooh, I don't know. I've seen some movies where the biggest fans weren't very good. Oh no. They're thinking about you every day and you get to live in their head rent free. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But so, you know, they, they, they do make these events up, but they're timed. They're wanting to do it fast, which yeah, that's how boy you get that done fast. That's good. But then when you start looking at the amount of stress that you get on that animal because of the way that you did it, it's not good. And people want, people are wanting to say that, oh, well, that stress, they go get a drink of water and, and they've gained that back. But that isn't true. I've, I've measured it too many times and uh, they don't. I mean, I've had one set of steers on a, on a, 48,000 acre ranch in New Mexico that got moved or run, run through the chute twice during the summer. And then once more and, you know, got shipped in the fall. And the one group that I did not have any help with the airplane to gather weighed seven and a half pounds more than the average on the rest of the steers, just because of the way they were handled at one time. So, you know, if you multiply that, say, okay, seven and a half pounds, that one time, multiply that times three, that's 22 and a half pounds per animal. That's a big stinking. That, look, that looks good game. in the bank account. I mean, that's a nice bonus. That was, well, you, well, the only part drawback is, is on, is on, on, uh, on 1997 head of steers, you're going to need a bigger pot or another pot. And there was, you know, this deal that I've got now that I'm, that I'm running now, it, it had been uh, an intensive grazing deal under pivots and, and they made the mistake of going with uh, Bermuda grass, which 
takes way too much water, and then you can't plant any winter forage hardly because the Bermuda's still growing when you plant that, and it takes it over. But we were shorting off a load of uh, six-weight sears, and they averaged six thirty. It was between six thirty and six thirty-five. I don't remember exactly what. So we weighed them. We turned them into a pen that had water. We went to lunch, came back, and we sorted the the lighter end off, and then we took that six weights and put them out faster. Well, we shipped four days later, and those uh, those steers were only weighing six and a quarter. You know, six twenty-five. Okay, they were not weighing the six thirty that they were, or six thirty plus that they were when we sorted them. So no, that strength does not you know, does not just come right back. You know, you may get compensatory gain on the next guy, but personally, I don't want to give compensatory gain away. I want to keep it. Right. I mean, you know, so, so, so all the ways that they're doing the stockmanship in these rodeos, ranch rodeos, and, um, and with, uh, the cutting horse competitions and the, the working cow horse competitions is all works against this when we try to use those methods when we get out on the ranch. So what, and what do people want to do? They want to try to make their horse be like them crow horses. And, you know, I've seen some really handy guys on a horse that just are hell on cattle. You know, and... and your job, even if you're just a idiot cowboy, is to take as good a care of those cattle so your boss can make more money. But they, they kind of lose. Even the bosses don't see that. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's like like I told Josh. I guess you might have been there uh, when we're talking about that, and you do something, and and people go around and and you do something that they were trying to do and they didn't get done. And then they look at you, well, that was lucky. And the, the day before I left the flying W, they've got a, a neighbor up there that's big in the ranch rodeos and that. And, and Josh went to, he had some running around to do and when and Josie and I were out in the pasture and when he caught up to us, he says, yeah, I said, there was a, one of the heifers over in the steers and he says, I just slipped in there and he says, the neighbors were there wanting to use the pins and they were going to help. And I said, no, that's okay. And he says, I just picked that heifer up, opened the gate, worked her through, didn't lose anything. And the guy went there and he says, and it was just like you said, it's just in the voice, the same voice that you say, well, that was lucky. <laughs> but if they, they do, they never seem to, think about, well, maybe you're doing something different that allows you to do it that way. So, you know, you were lucky, but boy, they got to work hard. Yeah. You got to make that best one. So, it, but people are getting better. They're, they're getting better and, and starting to look at it. There's a lot of people that are loading cattle out in the, in the pasture, you know, pulling their bulls and just parking the trailer in the pasture and going for it. Which, you know, I got to applaud that. That's, that's pretty cool that they're doing that. You know, it shows that they're wanting to go, you know, they're wanting to go the right direction. But we can all get better. So how how could we tweak rodeo and ranch rodeo 
Well, I don't know if we can tweak it, but if okay, we can we could tweak different parts of the industry. Uh, feedlots. I think that I, I really wish they would get a deal going in feedlots to where a feedlots send their top riders to a, a contest. And, you know, like say these big ones like uh, Five Rivers and and, and these, these big feedlots that have got, you know, several of them. They take the top 10 rider from each lot, okay, and then they have a contest and then it goes state, regional, and then have a national contest. The winner prizes all along the way once you hit the state level. And then then the winner for the overall deal gets a new truck and a, a living quarter stock horse trader, or even just a trader. You're going to get people wanting to, to try to get that. But what the contest would be is they would go down and they would mark, you know, just with paintball gun, just go through the pins and mark them pull one cow out in each alley that, that a guy's going to be riding and put a hurt monitor on there. And then it, rather than doing it on a timed deal, you're going down there and you start out with say a 200 score. Every time you trot an animal, you get points knocked off. If you lope an animal, you get even more points knocked off. Uh, if you lose animals out the gate, you get points knocked off. Then you get points added back on for having the lowest uh, reading on, on the heart rate monitor. And then if you do have a time score or a tie score, the fastest time wins. But you're not going for the fastest time. You're going for the smoothest run of, of pulling those cows out of individual pins in the alley and you're not, you know, you get points off for making mistakes rather than adding on, you know, like they do in the, in, in, in the stock horse classes and adding on courage points for really getting in there and almost getting in a wreck. You know what I mean? And it would be like paint drying. It'd be like watching paint drying. It isn't a, it, it is not a spectator sport. It's a, it's more of a proficiency test right? for pin riders. And you could have, you know, something similar for, for people on, on ranches where rather than, than how fast you're doing it, how smooth you do it. But there again, you're not going to, there's not going to be many people want to watch that. So it would have to be something that would be, you know, Sponsored by by Beaky Way or and I don't know, pick a trader company and a and a truck truck company because I'm not going to advertise for any of them. <laughs> but something like things like that and and have actual schools rather than you know I'm I'm going to the Sand Hills. Uh, Beef symposium here in in her conference down at Monterhams, Texas next week. Just I'm, I'm going to go down there and try to meet Temple Grandin. Well, tell her I said hello. Well, I will. Uh, I, well, if I get to talk to her, uh, her bodyguards may keep me away. I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been trying to get a hold of her for years, and she doesn't ever 
respond to emails or or making a connection on on LinkedIn or anything. So it it confuses me that I'm in her book, but she won't converse with me. Well, but maybe, that's, I don't know if she listens or not. But uh, if she does, maybe she'll hear yeah. this. Well, it's it's the thing is is she's going to give us a, a livestock handling demonstration. Ron Gill is going to do a livestock handling demonstration. And what happens in those things is people are watching, but until you go down there and do it, because I don't care if you're using Bud Williams stockmanship methods or Temple Grandin's methods or my methods, you can watch me do something or watch one of these other people do something and listen to what we're saying, but you've got too much going on at once because you can't really see what the cow's doing to make me do what I'm doing. You know, you can watch me go, yeah, boy, that cow went right there, but you're, the angles and everything else are so so off that we really can't, you know, it comes back to our observation uh, field. We can't really observe it that close enough to be able to just pick it up and do it. So that's why I think we need to have a lot more stockmanship school where, you know, even if it's just like the two-day schools where, you know, maybe you can get a set of pins and put 100 cows in there and you play around with those, you know, 100 cows this morning, you go out in the pasture and you play around with some out there, but you watch it and then you get walked through it and then you do it and everybody there gets a chance to do it. And it's got to be small class size because you get 20 people in there and it, it just, it gets too much on the cattle. It gets too much on the people you don't get and you don't get enough time in on the cattle to, to really start grasping stuff. You know, and that's, that's kind of why my raising school, you know, stockmanship raising schools go for five days because I want people to to go through and get the time in the cattle, get the time observing what's going on, and then also see the changes in the cattle between the start of it and the end of it. Uh, that, they'll change because from one day. Just, one day. One day. Yeah. Yeah, just to change from one day to the next, it can be pretty, pretty drastic, you know. So you know, like my yeah. personal observation, when you were here and we were out riding my cows, um, I'd had them for a year, and there's one cow that I call No Tail, and pretty sure that she's a half feral roped out heifer that wasn't supposed to get pregnant, but did. So they sold her at rock bottom prices, which is fine because she had a calf with her. Uh, anyway, she was always the one, as soon as we'd pull out into the paddock, she'd be at the other side watching us. Mm -hmm. You and I went out there for what? Four hours. You messed with her for 20 minutes. And ever since then, she's been a lot calmer. She's been in the middle of the herd and she's been much less skittish. Like, I can get within okay. I can get within fifty feet of her now. That's cool. Yeah, so, that's, that, that's good to know. That, that's good to know that because we didn't. And I mean, the twenty minutes we messed with her was you know getting her started the way we wanted, and then we kind of left her alone for a little bit and went back. It wasn't you know we're picking that bowl up and those other few that were 
that didn't make the move with everybody else. But as soon as so we picked her up like and got her moving, she was expecting us to keep chasing. Yeah. And when we didn't chase, because we went off to go work, go get the bull, she looked back and was like, uh, okay. And she was confused. Like, she didn't know where she was supposed to go. But then she started going back well, yeah. going. And the thing is, is when you do that, you give them time to think, well, then they just automatically gentle down. And, and I don't know how much their thought process has gone. Well, yeah, it'll be easier to go over there by those cows. You know, I, you don't know what their exact thoughts are, but there's something about it that just gets them to relax down. You know, and it's, it's, I mean, it's like winning in Josh's cows. You go riding out there and, you know, they, even if they're strung out a little bit when they were calving, I mean, they, you go riding at them and then what do they do? They go right to the other cows. And even though that you're riding at them at an angle that most people would think, well, you're going to chase them off. And that's for, that's where a lot of people get, have problems when they first start this because they're afraid you're going to be chasing the cows off. But just as soon as you get a, the cows have a reaction to you, you react to that reaction. And, you know, you might have to react two or three times, but then they'll, they'll roll right back around and go by you and, and go the direction that you want. And it might not always right. be the one that you're riding at, the one you're focusing on that reacts oh, and takes the too. rest of them with her. Well, the thing is, is sometimes you'll be, and that, that's this thing of you got to adjust all the time because people will get, okay, we're going after that one. Well, you might get one cow, three cows back to where you actually get a reaction off that one first. So then you change from that cow to the other cow. And when that cow goes around, it picks up the one that you originally had focus on. But, you know, you pick one that you're going to focus on and you go at it and then you have to be watching the whole bunch of cows that you're riding at and then go off of whichever cow starts to react the fastest. Or bigger reaction. You know, that one that you're riding at, it might have to be the first one to react, but then you've got that other cow decides it's going to make a, a big reaction and start to run off, well, then you just you change what you're doing to get that one to roll back without chasing it. You know, it's that deal of, of that old potter's wheel. You know, you're putting that pressure on there to, to get it to change into a shape that you want. And it needs just enough pressure to tease it into the shape. And if you use too much... It'll, you'll have a blowout and you'll ruin all your work. Yeah, but that's, I mean, you might have that once or twice when you're starting, but it's, uh, it gets to the point that having a blowout is like so uncommon. It's, it's, I mean, sometimes you want to make them blow out so you got something to do. Because <laughs> it can get, you know, it, it can get pretty, uh, I don't know if you want to say monotonous or boring because you're going out there and they're just rolling around and coming by. And, you know, if you're in a situation where, where you're working for somebody else and going out and, and working a different group every day and, and it's starting to get boring. Well, heck you can kind of have things scatter a little bit and then just put it back together real quick because it doesn't take you any time to put that stuff back together. 
cows on highway is is still not a fun way to start your day, Bob. I would much rather start oh. my day drinking coffee in the pasture, relaxed, and not. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's uh, it could it could be worse. You could be buried in your spare tire. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever ever cuss the mud. Never cussed the no, mud. No, I didn't cuss the mud. I, I actually, when I got stuck yesterday, I started laughing. <laughs> and, and I and I took a picture of it, and I sent it to my son. He's working at a uh, part-time at a uh, neighboring farm. And and so he sent me back. He said, well, I beat you. Here's mine. <laughs> but they... They come over with a with another four wheel drive pickup, backed up to the trailer, and pulled me out backwards because it was with that spare tire buried. It was going to act like a act like a D nine cat trying to pull up through the other way. I found so, if you're stuck to the frame rails, it's usually better to pull out from the back. Yeah, yeah. So and it, so since CK it, can't it was, be here today, she did want to make sure that I. She had a couple of questions she wanted me to make sure I asked you. So, oh, no, no, no. I, 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 I got to be a sexist, but I'll answer. You know, yeah, okay. <laughs> so what were what are some of your favorite places to travel? Oh, sheesh. Everywhere. Every, I should say, well, no, I can't say everywhere. Anywhere that it's remote and I can work cows. I mean, I've, I've worked from the, the right on the Canadian border. In fact, I had one day I worked in Canada because we had to get cows back and give me to kind of a lonesome dove of the north and let fence down. And I've worked down into Mexico and, and Australia. And I, I just like seeing new country and new cows in every place I go. So saying that I have a favorite, uh, what the places that might be favorite they they've been overrun by people from urban areas trying to become country that those areas have, have kind of gotten to where they're not the same anymore us crazies that like to live live way out in the boonies are getting pushed even farther and farther back in the boonies huh yeah yeah it's uh you know, it's like you get up to Montana and, and so much of that country has been broken up anymore and subdevelopments all over the place. And, and, you know, that state, I used to love it. You know, you could break down and you'd be the white guy in the Indian reservation and break down and, and somebody would stop and pull over and help you. And from friends that I have up there anymore, it's that, that's kind of gone by the wayside, which is a shame because that, that's one of the great things about that state with the people. New Mexico, you can break down those self honking waves as they drive by you. <laughs> That's what but everybody here good. does. Yeah. No, you can't say that when when uh when I Yeah, I, I, you're right, I can't. You did break down and uh did have a neighbor stop and help you. Yeah, and it and it's like I I spent more time talking to people that were stopping to help than I did loosening that, that fuel filter up and, and getting it pumped up with the other tank. So it, that was, that was kind of a refreshing deal when I was there in Kansas that, that, uh, that that happened. Yeah. But I just, you know, as long as, as long as I can 
go out working cows in new country and new cows. I, yeah, I'm just, I'm about as happy as you can get, you know? Okay, uh, is there anywhere you've been, you wouldn't want to go back? Um, I don't know. I didn't, it, it, it's kind of a mix up. I went to California twice last year. In fact, I went to, to two places twice, and I mean the I like I'd like to go back to visit people, but I mean, crimey putting up with California traffic. It's like, you know, I want to have I want to have you know a fifty caliber on a turret out there with radio control and somebody to run it for me, you know, just to change lanes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've been to California. I've been to. Uh... I've been in Northern California. I've been to the Lake Tahoe area. And, yeah. Oh, you know, it, it is pretty. It's really pretty out there. The problem is it's just oh, full yeah. of Californians and they ruined the place. Yeah. Well, I was, I was raised about 80 miles from Lake Tahoe, you know, Sierra Nevada. That was kind of my running grounds when I was a kid. We go camping up there and that and, 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 it, but it's just gotten so crowded and, and it's like the people have just really, I don't know how to put it. They've just really changed for, uh, you know, for all the political correctness, they don't have much humanity left. You it know, almost, it's like they, you know, I, I can't disagree with anything you just said at all. Yeah. And I and I hate saying it because you know I am kind of an introvert. I'd rather be, you know, I'd, I'd love getting stuck out in remote places with a bunch of cows and a good string of horses, and you know, somebody dropped by on the weekend or something. That I, you know, but I still like people. But it's like, geez, they just they have no consideration. I mean, you can have somebody sitting back off of your your left hand side of your trailer and be there for 20 miles in the same place. But then as soon as you make a turn signal, by golly, they got to pull up and cut you off. <laughs> you know, it's like, what is the point? You know, you really want me to get road rage with my three quarter ton pickup, 22 foot trailer with your little Miata. <laughs> giant steel brush guard on the front that deer just bounce off of at 70 miles an hour. <laughs> well, I don't have a brush guard on my truck yet. I mean, I've got one. I just need to put it on. So, but, yeah, it's just. So how, did, how did you figure out that our cows forgot how to be cows and and yeah, that you could teach them how to be long, cows again? How did you figure it out? It was a long, long, long process. I started wondering when I was about, I don't know, I was before I was 10. And I would ask people, you know, well, how come your sheep and your goats, they all graze together, but your cows scatter out? Well, that's just what cows do. And I was already at that point. I mean, my dad was an electrician, and I was just, you know, surrounded by these farms and ranches, and I spent all my free time on those farms and ranches, you know, either fishing or helping them uh, work cattle or goats or sheep. And 
by the time I was 10, I was starting to weed people out that I wouldn't go help just because they were too, too wild and crazy on their animals, which to be making that sort of a, uh, of a decision when you're, you know, not even a teenager, not even close to being a teenager is, is kind of weird. You know? So I, I've always been drawn to the war stress ways of doing things. You started figuring and, out by not ever being told what it, what it was, not ever being yeah, told what I, to do, by just watching yeah, what it, worked and like, didn't. Yeah. I don't, you know, you can ask me to do anything and I'll do it. You tell me to do it. Chances are, I'm going to just refuse right off the bat. I don't, you know, it's just something about getting ordered. I just, you know, have never, never gotten along with, but ask me and I'll do it. Well, you know, I, I got out onto, onto some ranches where I was starting colts and it was like, okay, running that four year old, you managed to get, get on it. Damn, he got it rode. Well, like, well, hell, let's go out and gather cows and they throw the gate open. And it was like, I could do it, but it didn't feel right. So, you know, then I get an absentee owner job and I get out there and rather than doing it that way, I started playing around with them. And, you know, it's really funny because the first time I ever heard about Ray Hunt was somebody telling me, you need to quit doing that Ray Hunt stuff. That's going to get you hurt. So it's, I've always been drawn to this. And then I also would, you know, if I was offered two jobs, one of them was for $750, $800 a month, and, but it was in a bunkhouse. Or I could go out with three or 400 cows with a string of colts by myself, but it only paid $300. I'd take the $300 job. I mean, it's... Because that's your happy being place. With what I'm doing and not putting up with the BS has always meant more to me than the cash. Yeah, that's your happy place. On a horse with yeah, cows by yeah. yourself. So, you know, you're starting these cults and you're, you're getting into, to, you know, you get in fresh yearlings and that, and you're, you're trying to get everything settled down. You know, the horse does something stupid, but you get a good reaction out of the cow. So you start playing with it. I mean, that's basically where I started that fade turn is because a, a horse, I was going to go turn a steer and the damn horse right before I got up there started bucking off to the right and the steer went to the left. And it did it again. And on the third time, I thought, well, I'm going to do this a little bit different. And right before I felt that horse getting ready to blow, I picked him up, ducked him off right a little bit. And sure enough, the steer turned around. So, okay, well, let's play with that. So it's just little bits of pieces of, of doing things by yourself where you're not being interfered with allowed me to uh, it- to come up with, with what I'm doing. And that's a lot how I've picked it up too. You know, I, so, you know, my part of the story, you know, I know you and I talked about it, but, uh, so growing up on the ranch, you know, we had horses and nobody, nobody taught stockmanship in the eighties and nineties. Like that wasn't even talked about, you know, it wasn't until the late nineties that, that people started talking about Bud Williams and Temple Grandin and low stress. So when I got out of the military and I moved back to, to work on the ranch in 2006, uh, you know, we had a, there was a Bud Williams VHS that was in the area that I had access to, but I didn't have a VHS player. So I never watched it, but I did, you know, yeah. I read 
I read some of his bunch of his articles. I read some Temple Grandin articles. Learned about flight zones, and I just I built everything off of that. Just skills. What's worked? What doesn't? Oh well, that was interesting. They that cow went exactly where I wanted her to. Why did she do that? What did I do to make her do that? And and putting those you know and putting those little pieces together and figuring out exactly how that works and how you're affecting the cow's psychology with those subtle little movements, you know, the position of your shoulders, whether you're, you know, whether you're in there with a, you know, like an angry body set and your shoulders are really tight and square, or you're in there oh, and you're it doesn't even have really to be relaxed. Body. It doesn't even have to be angry body. You can just I have mean, the I emotion. You can just have it. I, yeah, the emotion. And that's what people really don't realize is how sensitive these are to your emotion and focus is tied into emotion as well. But I mean, oh, I'm down to two horses now. I did have, have a forehead and I could walk out there on the pen with a halter. And I had horses coming up, you know, I've got that paint mare. She's always kind of simply standoffish. Everything else is coming up to me. I have a bad day for, you know, get in an argument with somebody first thing in the morning and I'm in a bad mood. I go down to the pens. I go to catch my, my horse for the day and they just start running around me like a bunch of blunts. You just put in the round pin the first time. Just offer your emotions. And I mean, part of it's body language. Your body language changes when you're upset and all of that comes into play. And we need to learn to, to control that as much as we can. And what I like to, to think of it, though, not making the cow go where I want it to, but let it go where I want it to. And let you her know, think it's I, her idea to go there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm going it, to, it's like, say, if I, you know, we've got, I've got a barbecue going on down here. I've got, prime rib, lobster, all the stinking, whatever you want to drink is there. We got dancing girls. We got everything. If I come up back to you and start shoving you to go down to that, you're going to turn around and you're looking at me and wonder what the heck I'm up to. Yeah, why and, are you, you pushing know, you me? Might, why are you hassling yeah, me? Yeah, you're going to turn around, you're going to turn around and throw punch me, you know. But if I come walking up right to you and then you see me and you turn around and see what I'm doing and I just point and go, hey, we got a hell of a feed going on down there. Check that out. Yeah, and then you're going to go. I so, don't have to tell you anymore. So the analogy is, is you, you know, where where a lot of people would, uh, you know, go go get behind the cow and try to drive her to the party. You want to walk yeah. from the party out to those people and just touch them on the shoulder. Yeah. And go, hey, and, and, hey, and, check and out the what's over there. Just- the party might just be a draw down there that, you know, you're just starting to throw, throw things together and you want them to start down that way. But yeah, you, you're wanting to, Hey, you know, once you head down that, you're making that point that you want them to go to be their focal point from your approach. And if you're making the focal point for them, be you because you're driving them they're not going to want to go or they, you know, some cows will go, but if you get one that's 
that's a little bit flighty or feral or whatever, they're not gonna they're gonna try to outrun you someplace else. For sure. So you get this mindset to doing it and it's uh, of getting to go that way. And and the thing is, is when you start this stockmanship, you know, if you're gonna be if you're gonna try putting them together and, and having them go in a in an IMG situation on instinctive migratory grazing situation where they're going together, uh, you know, and it, I've dropped off some stockmanship groups because, oh, you could do it with a four-wheeler. You can move cows easy with a four-wheeler. No, you can't because you cannot get the angles to get these to just go up and go by it. Now, once you get the cattle where they're in that frame of mind, uh, it, it's, I have one client, old, old Chris Jorgensen, up there at Mashco. He said he got, got lazy and got in a hurry a couple times, and he'd go out and he'd start driving up them with a four-wheeler, but he would he would cock his body around to where he was facing the cattle as he went by him, and he'd kind of stand up and crouch down as he went by, and it had worked. But when you're just starting this out, you're not going to do that. You know, you can't you can't get that, that four-wheeler to be looking at the animal and moving down the side of those and then having to step in or step out depending on on what was presenting itself as you were approaching. Now, you know, I mean, you just, you just can't do it. And now as, as a guy that, that participates in a lot of what you would call recreational fencing, mm-hmm. we run, you know, we run, we run wheelers, we run side by sides. Like a side by side is my go-to tool for moving cows. I mean, that's yeah. moving cows, doing herd work, bringing strays up, taking mineral, working on fence, whatever. I'm in my side-by-side all the time. We, yeah. we agree on that. And I agree with everything yeah. you just said. There's, And the way I've gotten my cattle into into working for me is you know, there is some of the approach you can do, you know, while you're moving and while you're moving. But then you have to stop yeah. and get out. And I have to do things on foot. I have to make the final, you know, 20 foot. Yeah. 20 feet towards the cow on foot and then, you know, do the fade turn and the look to get her to go where I want her to go. Yeah. You know, and, and I've done yeah. that with, with the two herds that I'm working with a lot that have been on the ranch for 60 days and yeah, they're just clicking it. Things are just clicking. Good. Good. That's what I like to hear. So th- I, I like, to, I like to hear it when, when people get figured out and, and, You've got, but you've got to understand how to do it either on foot or on horseback. Yeah. You've got to understand that before you can really start to translate any of that stuff into the side by side or into the four wheeler. Yeah. Or, or even a dirt bike. Yeah. But I don't think that, I don't think that, you know, when you're doing on, now the side by side isn't that loud, but like a dirt bike and that are loud, I think a lot of, I think you're going to get a, uh, and it may not be a big difference. I don't know, but you're going to get, there's going to be a difference. I think doing a horseback or a foot is going to be pretty identical. But when you start using the machinery that's louder, um, that, Oh, sheesh. Yeah. You got to be real, real careful of how loud your machine is. You know, I mean, I'm going to be 67 here in two weeks. And I'm still picking up just little tiny nuances. 
when I was over at the Masco and, you know, just most of the cows were getting up and we're just going to kind of ease through there and get them up. And I noticed that the cows that weren't quite ready to get up, you know, they're laying there, you'd approach them. And, you know, cows got that rhythm that they're chewing in when they're chewing their cud, you know, chomp, chomp, chomp. And they would, if they weren't quite ready to get up, they'd be, they would be chomp, 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 chomp. I mean, just chewing really fast and grinding their teeth. Okay. Then I went down to, uh, down, down to Oklahoma to, to visit my, my good buddy, Pedro, my Mexican son, Pedro. And they have him doing, you know, they're wanting him to get out their horseback, but the way things are, they, they, he's been spending more time in the four wheeler and checking calves on the four wheeler. And, and so we go out there and I said, okay, go up to one of these colleges. I don't want, I want to show you something, but you know what happened? Instead of the cow speeding up how fast, it was chewing, it completely stopped. So there is a difference in how you, on how they're reacting to the four-wheeler versus being your horseback. Interesting. Just, you know, just, and, and we went to several cows and every one of them did the same damn thing. They just quit chewing. And yet on the mass show doing it horseback, you do that because, because I, I call the, you know, call the guy on over and, oh, look at this. And every one of them would chew faster and be grinding their teeth, which that's a, that's kind of a, a sign that they're going through a little bit of stress. Yeah, well, I, there could also be some other variables. I mean, the cow, I mean, there, there, there could be a thousand other variables in there, but that is a very, very interesting observation. Yeah, yeah. and that's why, you know, we went to several different cows on, on release method and, each time the cow gave the exact same response of either, you know, chewing faster and grinding her teeth or just like completely freeze. Well, you know, I, kind of the deer in the headlights look. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's one of those things you're going to be looking at every time you go to a pasture and every time you go to another ranch. Oh, every now time. That, that, gives me, that is giving me something else to look at when I go down, you know, get a new set of cattle or I go to a school or clinic or something. That's just something else for me to, to look at and, and and wonder about. And I, I'm going to start looking at it too. So that's be interesting to circle back, um, you know, in a few months and, and talk about it. Well, I'm going to be, uh, we don't have the date set, but I'm going to be going back up to, uh, to the flying W for us for a five day school when they bring their, uh, get their, their yearlings in next year. And I'm going to have a, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and do a two day clinic for, for everybody that's been through a school or a clinic that, uh, I, I'm not even going to charge you guys for it. I'm just going to do it just so that everybody can get brushed up and, and we can kind of go across that then. That'd be a good time to, to catch up. I think that'd be cool to have a, well, what, you what, need to do the five, I'd like to have you stop by again for a day or, you know, or two days. And then we can go out and we can try it on my cows first with first with the side by side. Then we can go out on on a couple of horses. Yeah, that that work. That'd be cool. You know, and that I'll just have to. That'd be the test right there because if they behave one way with my side by side and they behave the other way, yeah, with the, the horse, same cows. Yeah, that'd be a good. That would be a good test. 
but you know, we, we look at things on, on this dress and it's like, we can't even tell when, you know, our wife gets mad gradually through the day, but then all of a sudden we notice it, you know, and, and the number of people that, that have friends or family members that get so stressed out, they commit suicide and nobody has a clue. So you're telling me that we can tell, we can't tell when another person is so stressed out, they're going to kill themselves, but we know if our cows are stressed or not. You know, it's, uh, we don't. I think we can tell if they're on one end of the extreme stress spectrum or the the other. Well, yeah, well, in some ways, but when, you know, your cows are already going through some, some changes. And, you know, it's like you get up there to the mast. Oh, uh, he's got that big bunch of English cows that, and it's like, you know, it's the English continental cross, and, but they, those cows are so stinked and relaxed, but at the same time, they're actually more responsive. So, you know, and you go riding out there to them and they see you riding towards them, they turn and they come to you, you know. 1,300 cows coming to you when they see you coming. And go wherever you want them to go, as long as you're using these methods. Now, if you just turn around and, okay, they're coming to you, and and you want them to, to go the opposite direction, and you start mashing on them to turn them around, you're going to run up to a big fight. But if you trot out to the back end of them and go against them right, they turn around, everything turns around and goes the way you want. And you can affect them from, you know, from 100 yards off. But they're also super, super just relaxed and content in ways that are they're kind of, kind of hard to explain. Uh, it, because until you see it, all the differences. And I mean, you're seeing some of those differences now. Oh yeah. You know, it's hard to show up in your cows a little bit. But the more you, you do, you go through this, the more it, these things are going to show up. Yeah, I, I agree. So we've, uh, I've got a few questions from the Ranching Reboot Paddock that we need to get through. So, uh, and I, I think you've probably already read most of these. So Michael Kinsey wants to know, how do you train the cattle to only eat the top third of the grass? You don't, they just do it. Yeah, and, and, and he worded it, make Bob explain. And I, I'm like, oh, man, you don't make Bob do anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brian, I'm rubbing my eye at him right now. <laughs> so uh, uh, the next one we got coming up is is John Wagner. Well, well I, I, I'll, I'll explain this a little bit more. All but right. As you make your changes in your in your stockmanship, there's a whole bunch of changes that come around on these cattle on top of acting as a herd. And one of the big ones is rather than, than just going for the sweet forage or, or you know, the, that fresh, young, short grass, they're going for the mo- most nutritious plants there your nutrition in your grasses is generally in the top third, which is kind of interesting when you stop and think about that, you know, 
as long as you leave half that plant, then what's what's going on? The the roots don't need to spend any energy. You've still got your solar panels going, your roots are still growing, and your grass regenerates, and it regenerates faster because you're not having to draw the energy down off the roots, and it's got a bigger solar panel. It doesn't have to go as far to recover, so it just recovers that much faster. And one of the things I'd like to put out, this is one of the things I'd really like to see a study done on because I had cattle going on an IMG deal on, on center pivots. And the guy I was working with, he was all for fences. He's trying to figure this deal out with the fences and he's doing daily moves. Well, we both had the same number of cattle on the same size pasture of the same type of grass. And, and basically, I mean, forage quality and everything is the same. Well, He's out there with his fences and he's doing his daily moves and they're biting that down to about two inches. Well, my cows were only taking the top third. Places maybe down close to half, but they were just taking the top third to one half. You would think that those cattle would be ready to go out faster than the other ones because they weren't eating as much grass. But Actually, the other ones were having to come out of the pasture two to four days earlier than the ones that were just eating the top third of the grass. Now, there's got to be something in there where it's like you with your bobo links and, and, and your, your cheese nuggets and stuff. If it is the higher nutrition, you need less of it to be full. Right. Right. So, and, and these cattle, they're all Mexican cattle, you know, come from the same source. So. They know how to hustle in big country. Well, yeah, they know how to hustle in big country, but you've got these two, you know, I did my little wiki on them and they're eating the top third and, and they're staying in that pasture, you know, two to four days longer before they get all the way around. And it was easy to tell when they got around it because they started around the outside and they worked their way around in circles till they got to the middle. And when they finally got into the middle of the pivot, well, we're done. Well, this guy was doing his daily moves, eating it all the way down, having to pull off earlier. It's taking longer for his, the, his, uh, his pastures to regenerate, but there was no difference in gain. Now, those cattle are eating more, but gaining the same. So that's telling me that when the cattle are eating more of that plant, their, back, their gut bacteria isn't as efficient because it's got the wrong nutrition level. That's interesting. So, so when you get these cattle making this change, and, and you don't force them into the change. You're just doing your stockmanship and being consistent with it until they come together. They make that change to eating that top third of the plant on their own. It's not something that you're training them. We don't have to train. 
we're training ourselves, not the animals. We're training ourselves to let these animals graze the way they would normally graze, which is looking for the best nutrition possible. And uh, I've got a guy, Bill Johnson, in, in Missouri that he's been doing this for a few years. And he sent me a picture here a year ago, or video actually. Uh, might have been last January. I don't know when. I can't remember exactly when it was, but he had all of this lush green grass about six inches high. And he's got a big stand of multifloral roses. And those cows were all in those roses, eating the new leaves off the roses rather than eating that fresh green grass. There's a lot of nutrition in those leaves. And, exactly. and those rose petals. That's that's where all the sugars are. That's where they put all their energy. Yeah. So but it, that that's a good follow in. It's a good it's a good segue into the next question from John Wagner is how do the cattle uh, how do you instill the behavior in the livestock so that they do not return to areas that have not fully recovered? Because the areas that aren't fully recovered uh don't have the highest plane of nutrition. You know, it's just, it's, it's that simple. You know, we're, cows are kind of like people in a way. Boy, I get stressed out and I start eating Snicker bars and Mars bars. And, you know, I, I kind of like glass of milk with it, but, you know, or cookies, cake, I'm, anything with a lot of sugar in it. When I get stressed, I'll start really cramming on, on the junk food. And that's exactly what, you know, cows are doing the same thing. You know, they're out there, they're stressed, they're not happy. I mean, we think, oh, well, look, cows are out there eating. They don't have any stress on them. Uh, and they're going for that 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 real washy, low-nutrition-level grass. But if you've got your grass out there and, you know, even your grass that's headed out a little bit, is going to be more nutritious than that grass that's just coming back. You know, because, you know, unlike what people say that grain isn't natural for animals, grain is just grass seed and they will take and strip those off because that's got more nutrition in it than, you know, grass that hasn't been recovered. Oh yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch my cows in September eat Indian grass seed heads and uh, big blue. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just get out there and just strip it off. They're eating yuccas and thistles this week. <laughs> yeah, those, those yuccas are fun. Like, boy, they they really like like that. That's that's cow candy. You're lucky. Your yuccas are a lot shorter than ours. Ours, they got to climb up the side of them sometimes to, to be able to get their tongue wrapped around the stalk to pull the blossom down. Like my coriennes, they like to pull the whole plant up and like munch on the roots and then spit out the fiber, all the fiber bits off the bottom of the leaves. Yeah. You know, and then, then of yeah, course, you know, they love the blooms on the, on the stem. Those yellow blooms are, those, those things just have to be super, super Yeah, tasty. those blooms are cow candy. So, that, that, um, but it's it, it just, it, as you change your stockmanship and, and getting, you know, the more you get to where, you go out there and your cows are responding by going where you want, want them to go without having to put a lot of pressure on them. You know, they're just kind of go riding out there. They say, Oh, you, 
they, they pick up their head and they look at you. Oh, you want us to go over that way? Okay. And then just start coming to you and go by you. And the, the more you've got that in there, the more that they're acting as a herd, the more you find out that they have a really wide variety of what they eat. Um, I was up in, in North South Dakota here a few years back and they were asking about, well, do you think they'll eat leafy spurge? And I said, well, I didn't try it yet, but uh, I can't see why not, you know, if it's got any nutrition in it. And so we do the school and his uh, extension agent comes out. They're going to go look around and see where they need to spray for their leafy spurge. And by golly, their big patches of leafy spurge were gone. Cows had just gone in there and ate it on their own. So it's, you don't have to teach them to eat weeds. You don't have to teach them to graze that top third because, I mean, I don't know of any way that you could teach them to do that. It's just a natural thing that happens when you get your stockmanship right. And and it's... I I think there's a part of it that, okay, so almost all the weeds in a pasture, almost everything in a pasture a cow will eat at some time of the year. Yeah. And you're like, I'm, I'm struggling to come up with an example. But well, like, African root, Afri- African root, it's deadly when it's green. Cows when, will eat it after it's froze down. And it's probably a pretty uh, good feed after it's frozen in the winter? Well, you know, I, I, never got around to it because I was living down to my brand, but uh, this next year I'll have to take and send in a forage sample on it. And also on silver nightshade because I discovered that the day after silver nightshade freezes, cows will hammer the heck out of it. Interesting. Yeah. And it's now that's my, you know, any cattle that I've had for, for, you know, a month or more, they'll hammer it. Other cows may not touch it at all, but once you get them to where they're looking for that highest nutrition, I mean, there's just, you know, there'll be a change in that weather. You get that, that freeze, and then all of a sudden, there they are. There, You can't take them off of that silver nightshade. They're just, they're just hitting it. So our, our stockmanship methods actually inhibit cattle behavior. And, and people think, you know, they, they make this this claim that, oh, well, my cows are calm. My cows are you know, relaxed and everything. You know, I really got to push on them, get them to go anywhere. And it's I kind of relate it to, to like a friend of mine in Australia said when I was down there, you know, he, we're talking about all this. And he goes, yeah, Bob, but, you know, and he was a chopper pilot. And he goes, you'd be amazed at what a good chopper pilot and, and – uh, a couple of guys on it on bikes that are good, how fast they can, they can get those cows quiet. And I said, so you're, you know, you're saying that that helicopter and dirt bikes calms them down. He goes, yeah. I said, well, do you mean to tell me that the only reason that the Jews were really kind of calm, quiet and stress-free from the barbed wire machine guns? Cause it's the same, it's the same thing. We think just because they're quiet, means that they don't have any stress, but sometimes they're, they're quiet because they have too much stress. 
And I can see that. And and I think some people that get that way too. You know, I start getting getting stressed, and I can be just real quiet, just you know, kind of halfway watching, and I'm being cautious about what I'm doing. Whereas you know, the rest of the time I'm just kind of be bopping around and, and doing what I do, and I'm relaxed. But people can't tell that I'm not relaxed when I'm being quiet and cautious. And, you know, like there again, we're going back to the point, you can't tell it in a, in a person. How are you going to tell it in a cow? It's a good point. It's a good point. So Sage Askin, he, he wants to know how does IMG compare economically with, with recreational fencing? Well, if you don't have to buy recreational fencing, and you don't have to make daily moves. You're late, uh, you know. And and here again, we got I got a, this discussion on, on on Facebook, and you get these people that have got little, you know, they got a hundred acres. Okay, yeah, go ahead and do your fences on a hundred acres. If you're rotating between two hundred acre pastures, you know, and they're irrigated or whatnot, that's a different story. You can do it. IMG is going to be cheaper. You get out down here for uh, in big range here, country. Yeah, I I did a grazing program on the Circle Ranch down here a couple. You know, oh, sheesh, it's been damn near ten years ago I did that. But um, you sure it wasn't was just 30, last week? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> My kids don't quit having birthdays and making me older. You know, uh, but it was thirty-two thousand acres. I had. 460 some odd head that I'm running through the raising program. Now, normally they would have, they'd be out there and, and putting up temporary fence and, and having crews move the fence. And then whenever they had, they, you know, they get through, you know, one pasture with then all those sub pastures and moving the fences. And their next move was going to be two or three miles away. They're going out and they're getting three or four guys to go move move cattle well I did the same thing in doing it three days a week now and and I couldn't run a true IMG where it was all in one herd because the water system was set up where you know you couldn't uh, you had four or five water points in the same pasture so you'd break them up into, into groups of 100, 120 and then work with each group within the the, the deal, but then I got to one end of the ranch where I had uh, I was able to, to just split them in half. I could leave the house at noon, drive the twenty five miles out there, make my moves on on both of my adjustments on on both groups, and I'd be back in town by six. I don't think you can get much more efficient on it than that. And when our NRCS guy went out and he did the measurements and everything, uh, he said I actually got better coverage, better impact doing that than they had done with the fences. And that it was like 80% cheaper on the labor. So, on you know, it's going to vary when you get, get to bigger places. 
And if you get in a real rough country, yeah, you might need to make your, you know, adjustments on there every couple of days or every, every day of, of you've got like a riparian area you're trying to protect where you're moving, you're moving your point for the watering every day or every other day, you won't be out there. But if you don't have that riparian area or the ground isn't extremely rough where they're, you know, you got to keep sending them up different draws, you know, you can, I've let cattle go for up to a month and they, uh, they stayed together fine for a month. And, and that was on a, it was on a section of, of Milo that I was grazing standing Milo and I put them up where they were alongside of the one fence and they barely made it down halfway down the fence about maybe 70 yards wide on 722 head of stairs. When I went after a month to pick them up, there were only five head that weren't right in the main bunch and they were only like hundred yards away. So yeah, the labor savings is, is pretty astronomical when you get into your infrastructure part of it. Uh, on these bigger deals, uh, you can make a pretty big savings on that too, because rather than, than having all those small water points going out, you can either bring them together and make a couple bigger ones or get, uh, get portable ones with storage tanks. You know, that punchy tank, tank company in, uh, yeah, the one that looks like a chicken drinker, like an oversized yeah, chicken yeah, drinker. Yeah, that, and, and it's got a it's got a, a three thousand gallon storage tank on it. Well, geez, you know, you say you know you've got six of them. You have three of them set up where your cows are at. The other three are set up a mile and a half away. You just pump them into your your water line. Well, all your water is only going when when you're doing this. All your water is just going to where your cattle are at at one point. So you're not losing water pressure going around to, you know, three, four, five different, uh, different water points. Or if your set stock raising in different pastures, you know, you may have a water line going through that's that's watering twenty different places at once. So you're, you know, you really have problems with your water flow then, and cattle are forced to sit around and drink. But with those portable ones like that. You can just go ahead and your cattle are drinking all at one spot. You've got storage to where it keeps up with them. And then when you make your move, you just move them down to the next tank, set of tanks, and then leapfrog the other ones to the next spot. So, you know, that's that right there is, is saving you a bunch on, on water infrastructure. Yeah, that pipe's not getting any cheaper, so... Yeah, yeah, this stuff isn't getting any cheaper. And, and if you can, and I, I do not know what the maximum, and of course, it's going to vary per type of country. If you're in uh, Idaho or some places down here where you're right smack dab in the mountains, yeah, you might need a couple of guys, but I don't know what the limit is to the number of cows that one guy can make the moves with. Be something to uh, be something to try to figure out one day. Well, the thing is, is um, uh, there at the Mastolo, Chris Jorgensen has had times where he didn't have any help, and he was moving, 
he he was moving eighteen hundred head of rice cows by himself. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. It's, so it's I mean, how many people we going Yeah. So we don't know, and I mean, ranching for profit says one person, you know, per thousand head. So if okay, we got here, you know, and I mean, he he's got one other guy working with him now, but I mean, if one guy can be running eighteen hundred head. What is the limit? I don't know what the same limit is. I'd like to push it. That'd be fun to you do know, sometime. Like to... It really would. Oh, yeah, I'd, I believe I'd like to push limits. And speaking of limits, we're, we're definitely pushing the limits. This is our record longest episode by uh, at least 15 minutes. So, oh, I'm I... sorry. <laughs> oh, no. Don't apologize. It's... Love talking to you. <laughs> Wish CK was here to be a part of this, but we do have to cut it short yeah. respect our listeners' time. There's plenty of stuff on the table, and I'm sure this is just the first of many great conversations coming down the line in the future, Bob. Yeah. So I really that want to thank you good. for your time. I enjoy talking to you. Hey, anytime. I really want to thank you for your time, and uh, it's been great to chat, Bob, and we'll talk to you later. Okay. Thank you, Brian. And talk later. All right. Bob sure can captivate an audience. Sometimes it's almost like... He's kind of holding court. So, the competition I mentioned at the start of the episode. A couple days before release date, Clay Connery, host of the Working Cows podcast, texted me and proposed a friendly little competition. Red Hills Rancher versus Working Cows, first to 3,000 likes on Facebook. So if you haven't liked my Red Hills Rancher page on Facebook, please go do that. And if you're already a fan, I'd ask that you share my page with five friends and ask them to like it too. Thanks, guys. It was a great episode, and we'll see you next week. Red Hills Rancher, out.